Are you willing to examine the traditions and doctrines that you trust in for your eternal salvation? Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I am Don Britton and I will be your host. I will be comparing the modern traditions and doctrines of American Christianity with what the scriptures actually say. You may be shocked to find out that much of what is commonly believed in American Christianity today is nothing more than myths handed down to us by men. So please join me now with an open mind. Hello and welcome back to another Great Deception Podcast. I'm Don Britton and I want to talk with you today about the myth that seems to be floating around all of American Christianity that many people are going to be saved. I want I want to share with you the truth about how few are really going to be saved. You know, it seems that here in the South, I live in the South, uh, in Georgia, and I'm in the Bible Belt. Most everybody here, most everybody I know, most everybody anywhere around that I know of claims to be a Christian. You know, people fill out a, a medical thing and it says, all the time it says, you know, your religion, everybody checks Christian. You know, that's everybody checks the Christian box in this part of the country. And in the, the fact is that in the world, there's approximately 43 million Baptists worldwide, as well as 1.2 billion Catholics. And there's a, about uh, 66 million Lutherans. And, um, and there's many more millions of Pentecostals and Charismatics and many other denominations around this part, around the country. And, and especially even here in America, there's just millions and millions and millions here in the South. If you include all the many, many other denominations, you would have to realize that there are many more millions that claim to be Christian. Here's the problem, though. You know, we don't look like Christian. When you look at us more closely, when you look at the condition of the church today, especially here in America, divorce is rampant in the American churches, as well as immorality, uh, fornication, adultery, pornography, homosexuality. Uh, most members in the church today, especially here in America again, are very worldly, they're worldly-minded, they're, they're selfish, they're greedy, they, they lust, they lie, they cheat, they, they gossip, they slander. They do all the things that the Bible says, if you practice these things, you'll not inherit the kingdom. And so the problem is that American, the American church is, you know, as far as the way the people live on the inside, the people inside the church, they're no different than the rest of the world around. In fact, when you get them outside the church and get them out in the business world or out in, in public, you couldn't even tell by the way they act, the way they talk, the language they use, the jokes they laugh at, the things they, they practice. You couldn't even tell the difference between a so-called Christian and a so-called non-Christian in the world today. It's obvious that also from the, from the fact of what Christians, so-called Christians, uh, enjoy, the things they enjoy, do for pleasure, the worldly entertainment, the entertainment industry, the music industry, the video game industry, the pornography industry, the sports industry, all the same idols of the world, you know, the things that the world loves, the, the church is doing the same thing. So the, the so-called Christians support all of this garbage. You know, if, if the people who claim to be about 80, here's the fact, about 80% of people in America claim to be Christian. If 80% of the people in America refuse to watch the garbage that uh, Hollywood's putting out, you know, the vile and the filthy and the sexual and the bad language and the violent movies that they put out, they would have to change what they sell or they wouldn't be able to sell it. If if 80% of the Christians did not buy into pornography, 
that would that industry would really be hurting if 80% of the Christians didn't go and attend and spend all their time and money obsessing over sports, football especially, then what would they do? They'd have to do something. They'd have to, it would dry up maybe. See, the problem is that the Christians are supporting all the things of the world that are idols of the world. See, the church is supposed to be the salt and light to the world. We're supposed to be the ones that influence the world. We're supposed to be the ones that have a moral authority or a moral influence upon the world. The problem is that the world itself is not influenced by us. The world, the world does what it wants to, and then we get in on it. That's what we do as American church today. So there is no power. American, the American church has no power, no influence on the world around it. You know, that's why that we have, we're electing people to go to Congress who are crazy. They're crazy left-wing nuts that are, are, that are devoid of God, devoid of anything to do with God that they'll vote for anything that's against God, and the Americans are electing them. If 80% of the people in America had a, a God mentality, had a biblical mentality, there's no way these crazies would be in Congress. There's no way we'd have these crazy judges in the Supreme Court. It's because we are not Christian. America is not a Christian nation anymore. It's nowhere close to it. This church, today's church, is full of sin. In Revelation 18, it talks about how the bride of Christ has become a harlot, has become Babylon the great harlot, and that she has become a dwelling place of demons. And the reason why she's become a dwelling place of demons is because she's full of sin. And when you're full of sin, there's demons there. So anyway, uh, so the word of God does not support the idea that many people are going to be saved, but yet when you when you look around and listen to Christian television and when you go to church, when you go to a funeral, everybody's, everybody's saved. Everybody's going to heaven no matter what they do. But here's what Jesus said. He said, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it. That Greek word for many is the word like, it means like multitudes upon multitudes. It's like, it's a tremendous amount. It's not just like, you know, a few more. It's it's like extreme numbers. It's many. Then he goes on to say the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And he says, few are those who find it. Well, the word few in the Greek means a very tiny amount. It's like very small. Very, it's, it's extremely small. It's, it's just a few. It's very few. And so when you compare the, the many with a few, you'll see that most everybody in American Christianity is going to the broad way of destruction, and only a very, very few are really going the way of life. The word few in the Greek means very small number, like I said. The words narrow and small are the words used for the describing of the gate and the path that the true believer that goes to life walks upon and goes through, and those mean difficulty, they mean trouble, they mean suffering, tribulation, pain, anguish. So this is referring, this way to life is referring to the way of suffering that a true believer has to go because he carries the cross, his own cross, which is similar to the cross of Christ. It's the cross of rejection. It's the cross of denying yourself of the world and the things of the world and the temptations of the world and so forth. So this cross that true believers are, is the way to life that very few people are willing to, to, to bear. It's not any problem for people to go to church. It's not any problem to pay a little tithes and sing a few songs or whatever, as long as they can live like they want to. But see, 
Paul explained that to live a holy life that you would be persecuted and you would be rejected, especially by the religious community. They're the ones that always rise up when you start talking about holiness and, and denying yourself of sin and living, and, and living wholeheartedly for God. They're the very ones that rise up against you far more than the world does. The world don't really care one way or the other. So here's what happens. The church teaches a false grace and a false salvation and an easy believism and an easy way to heaven and all that. And when you start seeking God and you start getting in the word, you find out that that's really not true and you begin to speak up. They're the ones that are going to come against you. They're the ones that are going to have a problem with you. And Paul even confirmed this. He said, Paul said, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. The key here is the desire to live godly. Godly does not mean church attendance and outward, quote, worship service. That's not godly. That's not what it means to be godly. Of course, that's, that's kind of the definitions used today. You attend church, you're called godly. Godly means living a holy and separated life from the world and the ways of the world and the philosophies of the world and the pleasures of the world and the sins of the world and the idols of the world Godly means to no longer participate in the things that the world does or the things that you used to do when you were supposedly a sinner and now you're supposedly not a sinner. You see, when you take a stand for righteousness, your denomination and your religious family, your quote-unquote Christian family, they're going to have a problem with you. So when you take a stand for righteousness, your religious family and friends are going to have a problem with you and they're going to turn against you. They will hate you when you expose their false doctrines and their false religion and their false salvation. And also, when you speak about walking holy and denying yourself of the things that they enjoy, you know, they go to church, yet they do all the things the world does. And when you start really not participating in that, they're going to have a problem with you. They're going to have a problem when you start talking about going the narrow way and living a crucified life. They're going to have a problem with you when you talk about bearing your own cross and overcoming sin and temptation. When you start talking about these things and living like this, you will be rejected. I'll give you an example. One time I was in a quote-unquote spirit-filled group. Uh, it was like a big Bible study. There was a whole group of people there. Uh, there was a lot of words. You know, they get into a lot of this prophesying and words and stuff like that in some of these charismatic meetings. And I was at, I was at one this time. And there, this is probably about, about 38 years ago, 39, 37, 38 years ago. I don't remember. Anyway, this group was led by a man and his wife. The wife was really ultra-spiritual, as they say, and she was kind of giving all these messages and prophecies, and she was making people feel good, and she's handing out messages and words of blessings and prosperity and health and wellness and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I knew for a fact that a lot of those people there, a good part of them, weren't living right with God. I knew that. I was with these people for a while, and I kind of knew who they really were, and I was marveling at that there was nothing said that would help these people get their life straightened out. So I had been in the Word. I had been in the prophet Ezekiel recently. And I had been reading some about how God felt about his people, his own people, who were living in sin. So I, I, asked, I asked permission, since I was just nobody, I asked permission, could I read something from the Bible? And of course, if, you, if you're with a Christian group, and you're in a, quote, study or a Christian meeting of some sort, who could tell you you can't read from the Bible, right? So they said, sure, go ahead, read from the Bible. So I did. I read from Ezekiel. I read about how God felt about his own people in sin and how he was going to bring strong judgment against them 
and he was going to destroy them if they didn't repent and things along those lines. And the message that I was reading, the words that I was reading were very, very powerful. Well, this woman, this really, quote, hyper-spiritual woman, she began to gasp and to, to uh, she began to, uh, to cringe at the word. She was cringing when I was reading this and gasping like she was having trouble breathing or something. And at some point she requested to her husband, his name was Ron. She said, Ron, make him stop, make him stop, you know. If you ever saw, back in the old days, they had the Dracula movies. You remember how when Dracula would come and somebody would hold up the cross to Dracula, how he would, he would, he couldn't take it. He couldn't stand the cross. Well, it was kind of like that with her. She was kind of like Dracula with a cross in her face. And when I was reading the word of God to her and to them, she was gasping and cringing over it and she was begging for it to be stopped. See, that's what happens. That's what happens when people in the American church today with them when you start reading the word. I, I was in a Christian businessmen's meeting for a few months and I never really spoke up and gave my opinion on anything. But almost every week I would read a Bible verse or two because I'd hear them talking about this and talking about that saying different things that I knew were not true, that were not biblical. And my answer to that, rather than getting into an argument or opinion uh, to opinion, I would just say, okay, I want to read a couple of verses. And they'd say, yeah. And so they got really irritated with me. They finally got just so angry with me. They all blew up on me one day. All stood up and overpowered what I was reading and just chanted and yelled and screamed. And, and then it started singing a crazy song or something. And so then the leader of the group came and called me and asked me to meet with him. And I did, and they asked me never to come back. And they said I was causing people to doubt their salvation. The reason why is because the word of God was contradicting what they believed salvation was all about. So there again, I was rejected and cast out, so to speak, of their meeting because only because I was reading the Bible. What happens is, this is, gonna, this is what happens when you take a stand for what's right. This is why there's only a few who are really going to be saved. You know, also going back to Matthew 7, where I read earlier about the narrow way and the, and the broad way, you know, the word, the word for the broad way, the word, uh, you know, that many, there's going to be many that go that way. That, that word for many means multitudes upon multitudes of people. There's a whole big number of people. It's like millions and millions of people today that are going to church. This, this large number that go the broad way is, is very comparable to the millions of people like I read earlier, there's just millions and even billions of people that belong to choke, quote, different kinds of churches and different kinds of denominations, all thinking they're going to heaven when Jesus said only a few are really going to be saved. They think going to church week after week and doing the, the so-called worship service and all that, they think that that is what it takes to please God. So Jesus made it clear, he made it really clear that only a few, very few would be saved. So anyway, going on, he said to them uh, in another place, they said and some of his disciples were with him and they asked him this question in another place. And someone said to him, this is in Luke 13, by the way, verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. In other words, they're thinking they're going to enter, but when it comes to the getting through, they can't get through the door. So he said, strive to enter. That word strive means to, it means to exert yourself, to put yourself to strain, to struggle, to get through, because it's not really that easy. You know, 
It says over in Peter's, if it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what's going to become of the godless man and the sinner? Well, the truth is they're going to go to hell. And so there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to be able to enter, because, but they think they are. They've been told they're saved. They've been told by the pastor that they belong to God now, and, that's, and so they think they're saved. So it, but again, when this statement was made by Jesus, he said, it, it, and the question is, it doesn't sound like many are really going to be saved when he says strive to enter because many will try to, won't be able to get in. So again, the disciples sensed that the way to life was very narrow after they heard this and the gate was small and there was a cross to bear and it just seemed like to them that really not many were going to be saved. So here's the problem. Your family and your friends, listen to me, they don't mind you going to church. They don't mind you joining to a church. Who, who cares? Your co-workers, your, your neighbors, the people you hang out with, the people you, you involve yourself with in the world, they don't mind you going to church. I mean, so many people do anyway. It's no big deal. I mean, I know people that are very worldly that go to church all the time. Sometimes I'm shocked to find out that the, the person that I, I, I run across in business or that's a vendor in the business that uh, the business I had, people come in. And and then if I, they, they talk filthy, they act carnal, they're jealous and, and they're selfish, they're greedy, and dealing with them is just a real headache. And then all of a sudden I find out they go to church somewhere. It's like, I'm shocked he goes to church. Well, then again, why am I shocked? Because this is the way it is in the church. Church is full of people just like this. So your family and your friends, they won't mind you going to church so long as you really don't change. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's the problem. I remember when I turned to the Lord, you know, uh, I had, I was, I was a race car guy. I was a gearhead. I had a super stock drag car and I was, uh, these guys were always coming around, hanging around me. And I was always talking trash and we were talking about the women and we were talking about worldly stuff. And, 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 you know, and I was, I was an okay guy, but when I turned to the Lord, I advised them within the first week that I had given my life to God. And they thought at first I was just going to start going to church. I said, no, I'm, I've given my life to God. I'm not going to participate in the pornography anymore, the talk about the women, the, the, the trash talk and all this. Guys, I've really changed and I'm going a whole new way. Well, I lost all my friends. I lost all my friends the first week. This is what happens when you really turn to the Lord. I'd been okay if I just going to go to church and still did the things I always did. That wouldn't have been a problem. But the fact that I was changing and was no longer going to participate with them in the worldly stuff that we used to do and the garbage we used to talk about. Now, that was a, that was a, a game changer right there. They left me. They had nothing to do with me anymore after that. This is what happens when you turn to the Lord. Some, you, and again, they don't mind you going to church as long as you don't change. That's going to be the problem. So Jesus explained it this way. He said, he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So, in other words, you have to lose the life that you had in order to find life. You can't, you can't keep the old life and have the new life. But this is what 99%, I'd say, or more of the church world has done. They have kept their old life and thought they found a new life in Christ, and so they think they can have both lives but it's not, it doesn't work that way. That's why only a few are really going to be saved. As, I want to ask you a question. When did you ever hear a pastor or an evangelist or ever read a track or ever, or ever hear a ministry that's, that's trying to get you to come to Jesus? When did you ever get, get people to come to Jesus to be saved? When did you ever hear them ever warn you 
about calculating the cost of giving up your life. That it's going to cost you your, your life. It's going to cost you your pleasures, your sins. It's going to cost you family and friends. It's going to cost you, it's going to, it's going to cost you some rejection and some persecution. Whoever told you that? We're, you know, all it is, just pray this little prayer as Jesus in your heart and your Savior going to heaven, your tickets punch, blah, blah, blah. That's all they tell you. And it's a bogus lie. It's terrible. So the cost is this. It's the loss of your old self life, the life where you live for yourself. And if Jesus is going to be Lord, that means he's the boss. He's the head honcho. He's the CEO. He's the commander in chief. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to obey him. If you don't obey him and you don't take up your cross and follow him and do what he says, the way he says, and live like he says, then he's not your Lord. You can call yourself a Christian all day long, but if you don't do that, he's not your Lord. So the cost is this. It's going to cost you your old selfish life. It's going to cost you all your old sins that you used to love to do. It's going to cost you the loss of ungodly family members, the ones who are play Christians, pretend Christians, but are really not Christians, they're the ones going to have a problem with you. It's also going to cause you the loss of your religion. Yep, that's right. You know, you're, if you if you're in the re- religious world, you're in the denominational world, and you had a you had a false conversion. You've been told you were saved, and you, you wake up and you realize, no, I haven't gone the narrow way at all. I haven't followed Jesus with a whole heart at all. And somehow revelation comes to you. You come to realize this, and then you really do give your heart to God then you're going to lose your religion. You're going to lose your denomination. You're going to lose your false hope that you had. But in the meantime, you're going to gain true life. You're going to gain the true true salvation. So, you know, and, and also the cost is going to cost you your idols, the things that you love so much of the world, you know, you're going to have to give them up to, to please God. And all these worldly pleasures that some of which we talked about before, I've talked about some of them on other podcasts. You know, some things are just, absolutely ungodly and you're going to have to decide you're going to serve god with a whole heart or you're going to keep on with your ungodly practices your ungodly pleasures you know it sounds like you're losing everything and in a way you are but see what you gain is so much more so much better you gain a new life you gain peace you gain hope you gain eternal life you gain salvation and you gain a set of principles from God's word that will improve every aspect of your life. I've talked about this before. You know, if it hadn't been for God's word, I, I would have been dead a long time ago the way I was living. I would have been killed. I would have, My life would have been shortened. And I would end up, I'd be in hell right now as I'm speaking to you. I'd be absolutely in hell today if it wasn't for God and it wasn't for his word and it wasn't for changing my ways and following him with a whole heart. God has blessed me in every way. He's, he's redeemed my marriage. He's redeemed my health. He's redeemed my life. He's redeemed my soul. He's redeemed my finances. He's redeemed my business. But I had to do things his way. And so it sounds like on one hand that it's like all terrible, but no, it's really not because you give up what's really terrible and you gain what's really wonderful. None of this is accomplished though, what I'm saying through a sinner's prayer or through just accepting Christ or through just signing a three by five card or through getting baptized or whatever. None of this is accomplished like that. It's accomplished by you surrendering your whole heart and life to the Lord. That's why so few are really being saved because very few people, it's almost non-existent to find anyone who's really surrendered themselves totally to the Lord that way. So I want you to consider then how few people are really following Jesus, really following Jesus, and how, how many people are really following man-made religion, which is the opposite of following Jesus. 
Today, who is really teaching the church that if they don't take up their cross and deny themselves and give up their life for his sake, that they cannot be his disciple? Who's teaching that today? I don't hear it anywhere. I mean, I hear a little bit of talk about it, just a very little, but it, it never goes into any depth. It never sounds like it's really the issue. If you can't follow Jesus, how are you going to get to heaven? You know, Paul Paul warned the, the Ephesian church. Here's, some, here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He said, but immorality or in, any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as, it, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. Boy, he's getting down to some personal stuff now. I mean, take all that away, right? Which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty. Paul's making this real clear. Absolutely for certain you know this, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, in other words, loving something more than you love God, none of them has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No one. And he's talking to the church. He's writing to the saints at Ephesus. He's warning the Christians, if you find yourself this way, don't be deceived. You do not have any inheritance in God. And he goes on and say, what would Paul say today to the American church? What would he say today to the Baptists, to the Methodists, to the Presbyterians, to the Lutherans, to the Charismatic, to the Pentecostals, to the Catholics? What would he say to them if it's not saying the same thing? And he goes on to say, let no one deceive you with empty words. The empty words are like, uh, once saved, always saved. Just ask Jesus in your heart. Pray the sinner's prayer and you're going to be saved. Uh, just get baptized, you'll be saved. And speak in tongues and you have the Holy Spirit. See, these are empty words. They're not the, what the words of God say. And he says, because of these things, that is these empty words, these false words that are given, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In other words, the sons being the sons of God, who are disobedient. They're disobedient to God because they've received empty words. They've received false teachings and false doctrines. And now they're practicing sin, thinking they're okay. They think they'll be okay because that's what the worldly church does. It practices sin and excuses sin, overlooks sin and accepts sin. So now they're sons of disobedience and the wrath of God is upon them. And Paul warned, he said, therefore do not be partakers with them for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul the apostle left no doubt that, that, that it was impossible for any immoral or impure person or covetous man or somebody who had idols in his heart. And today, a big idol is football. I mean, I throw that out there a lot because it's just a huge idol for people in the American church. And he says, do not be deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't. So it doesn't matter if that person believes in Jesus. It doesn't matter if he's been baptized. It doesn't matter if he speaks in tongues. It doesn't matter if he's prayed the sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter if he joined the church. It doesn't matter if he sings in the choir. It doesn't matter. He's not going to receive an inheritance in the kingdom of God. He's just not going to be there. But what he's going to do is be on the broad way that leads to hell and to destruction forever and ever. And so his outward worship and his outward service to God is not going to fix the problem. Again, 80% of American Americans claim to be Christian. 80% say they're born again. But 80% do not practice righteousness, do not carry their cross, 
and do not bear the fruit of God. It's not 80%. I, it's, I don't even think it's 1%. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I see so much terrible out there. I hope it's more than 1% or 2%. But even some of the research has been done by the Barner Group and others have only found that only 2% in their research are people, 2% of people who claim to be Christian in America actually study the word, actually have a sincere prayer life, actually live a moral life. Only about 2%, when I say moral life, you see, I'm talking about in every kind of way. I'm not talking about just adultery and fornication. I'm talking about, James said that to be friendship with the world was a, made you an adulteress. It made you immoral. So almost everybody is friendship with the world in their own way. Somehow, some way. That's what I'm saying. Again, Jesus said, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there's only a few who find it. Again, back to Matthew chapter 7. So it's again a few. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 24, he said this, For the coming of the Son of Man, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like in the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, it's going to be the same way. Okay, in the flood, how many people got saved? When God came before and brought judgment upon the world, like he's going to do again, this time it's going to be different than a flood. He's going to bring it with fire. How many people were saved? It was only eight. Out of how many, who knows how many millions or hundreds of millions of people lived on the earth at the time, but only eight souls were saved. In other words, he's giving us a comparison here. He's saying there wasn't very many compared to the numbers of people on the earth at the time who were really saved. There were so few compared to the, there were so few saved compared to the millions. He's drawing an analogy for the last times. He's saying the same thing's going to happen again. He says, just like it was in the days of Noah, when only eight souls were saved. It's compared to the billions of people today who really claim to be Christians, who say they're saved, the hundreds of millions and billions or whatever. I don't even know how many. It's just a number. It's mind-boggling. It's the many, many that are on the way to destruction. But out of that, there's only a few numbers, a small number in comparison who are going to be saved. I'm not saying only eight souls, technically eight, are going to be saved. But I'm saying compared to the millions and billions of people who claim to be Christians, only a few, a small number, only a few are going to be saved in comparison to that vast number. So think about this. When did you ever go to a funeral that the minister didn't confirm that the person in the casket was going to heaven? Have you ever questioned that? I mean, does everybody go to heaven? It seems like they do. Every time there's a funeral, it's another person that's going to heaven. Preacher always remembers the time they prayed the prayer or he talked to somebody and said, oh yeah, they believed in Jesus, you know, or whatever. And so the preacher always says, well, you know, they're with the Lord now. They're in a better place, you know, and all that. We hear that. And so it gives people comfort thinking, well, if, if old Billy Bob went to heaven, I mean, I, I guess I can too because he, he's worse than I am. So he made it. I guess I'm fine. You know, that's what people think. And so it gives them a false sense of security. But the thing is, have you ever wondered about that? If there's really only a few, very few being saved, why does everybody that goes to the funeral home in a casket get preached to heaven? Why do they all get preached to heaven? If only a few are being saved, why is everybody getting preached to heaven? See, that's a, that's a question that don't make any sense. I mean, the answer to that, you know, why? Why? So I want you to do this. You who go to church every Sunday 
and the church is full of people, I want you just to look around. Next time you're at church, look around. Look around at all the people. Some churches are mega churches now. They've got not only hundreds, but they got thousands of people, sometimes tens of thousands of people. Look around and, and, and say to yourself, oh my goodness, according to the word of God, almost all these people are going to hell, yet, yet they're all here at church today. And so they call themselves Christians, uh, but if, they, if they're not going to enter by the narrow way, that means they're going to hell. This is terrible. And that may, be seem, that may seem hard for you to accept. It may seem hard for you to even believe. But God's not a liar. Only a few will enter heaven. It doesn't matter which church it is. doesn't matter which county it is. doesn't matter which state it is. doesn't matter which country it is. Only a few, very few, will enter heaven. You see, if anyone, if anyone in the American church today really belonged to God, here's what's going to happen. He's going to seek God and he's going to be asking questions about what we're doing here. Why are we, why are we practicing this? Why does the church believe that? Why does a preacher do this? Why is the preacher getting paid? Why does he take up tithes when that was of the law? All kinds of questions are going to come up. And so as he begins to seek God, he's going to begin to see what's wrong with his denomination. He's going to begin to see what's wrong with American church. And, and he's going to begin to see that it's not lining up with the word of God. And so as he begins to see what's wrong, he's going to begin to speak up and to ask questions. And that's going to cause some trouble. And as he begins to challenge the false doctrines and the false practices and the false traditions that the church is involved in, and he begins to question some of the things that are going on and why, he's going he's to end up being persecuted. He's going to be called a troublemaker. That's happened to me. I know. I've seen it happen to other people. I remember one brother that he went to this church for a while and then he moved out of town and came back. And then when he came back, the church had modernized a lot. In other words, it had become much more liberal. And so he began to ask some questions and he passed out in church one day, he passed out a sheet of paper with some scriptures on it that actually went against some of the practices of the church, one of them being paying the tithe. And so he was escorted by police with his wife and his six children escorted out of the church like he was some kind of a criminal when all he did was pass out a sheet of paper with scriptures on it in a church here in America. This is what happens when you stand up against the truth. And so when, and when, when you see how the pastor, how he, how he and the church, how they do not receive the word of God when, he, when you bring, when you start raising the questions, you bring the scriptures, then he, you, whoever it is, whoever does this is going to find out where the church is really at, where they really stand, and how, and he's going to, he's going to realize he's going, he can't stay there any longer. He's going to have to leave to go somewhere else to find fellowship. You see, when you look around and consider how many members that, that, that are in your church now, look around and say, well, how long have they been here? How long has he been here? If somebody's been here for many years, decades even, and a lot of churches are full of people that have been there for decades, you can know for sure that person's dead. If that person had a Bible and they were seeking God and they were looking for answers, they would a long time ago found out what was wrong here. They would have a long time ago stood up against it. They would a long time ago left this place that's a dwelling place of demons. They wouldn't still be here. And so the question is, why are you still there? Are you like them? Are you going to be one who's going to seek God? Are you going to look up and see what the scripture says? Are you going to start searching for truth? Are you going to begin challenging the, the false doctrines and the false practices and the false traditions that are there? Are you going to want to find out why the preacher gets paid, what he does, gets paid at all? You're going to find out why he takes up tithes 
why there's nothing in the Bible about church taking up tithes? You're going to question what the worship service is really all about? Are you going to start questioning some of these things? Or are you just going to stay there and just do whatever they usually do because it's easier? What's going to be, what's, you know, the way to life is not easy. The way through the narrow gate is not easy. The way through the, the cross is not easy. You know, but it's the way of life. It's certainly better. Or are you just going to sit there and die? So I'm just asking these questions. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, he said, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward in, in heaven is great. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. In other words, now you're getting treated like the prophets of God did when you start being hated and ostracized and insulted for the truth. Hey, blessed are you, he says. But if you want to just go ahead and go along with everybody else and, and, and get the approval of man more than the approval of God, then you won't have any persecution. You can just take the easy broad way that leads to destruction. So it's really up to you. So I know this all kind of sounds kind of hard, but you know, hey, it's a lot better to receive it on this end than to find out. I'll tell you what's hard. What's hard is to think you're going to heaven and face the Lord Jesus Christ in the end. And he says, depart to me, depart from me and enter into the eternal destruction of hell. That's what's hard. What I'm talking about today is not hard compared to that. Here's my hope for you and for all of us. May you and may we all experience the new life in God, the one that does have the cross, but yes, yes, yet it has all the blessings and the hope tied to it. May you experience the life and the hope that's in Jesus Christ that comes with traveling on that narrow road and struggling to striving through that narrow gate and taking up your cross and suffering to cease from sin. May you experience that wonderful walk and that wonderful life. And may you truly be a part of the few to enter life. I'll be back next week with another Great Deception podcast. Thank you for listening to the Great Deception podcast. You may visit my website at www.christianmyths.org for more information, for my blog and for my email address. You can also get my book, The Great Deception of American Christianity Without Christ on Amazon or on my website. Also on my website, you may download two free chapters of my book. I hope you join me next week as we continue to examine The Great Deception.